Hello and welcome to Spirit Pig. This is the show that explores how to live a fulfilled life. I'm Duncan CJ and today I'm speaking with Deborah Poneman. Deborah is a best-selling author and world-renowned speaker. In the 1970s, she studied at the feet of some of the greatest spiritual masters of the East. In the 1980s, she immersed herself in the knowledge of the masters of Western metaphysical thought and founded Yes to Success seminars, bringing then radical ideas like your thoughts create your reality into the mainstream. Within a few short years, her seminars were being taught in seven countries on four continents, and this was all before the days of the internet. And she's appeared regularly in publications and on radio and in TV around the world. Using the knowledge they learned from Deborah, her students went on to become New York Times best-selling authors, millionaires, billionaires and household names. And she continues to take the idea of success and abundance to whole new levels with groundbreaking tools and techniques and cutting edge knowledge of how everyone can live a life they love. Deborah, thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. I've been really looking forward to this. So a couple of those students, we, we were cho- talking just before we clicked record. We have like Marcy, Marcy Shymoff, like one of our one of our favorites on the show, Steve Farber, who was on a month ago. So yeah, you like some 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 big people have come through the yes to success doors. Yes. Have you had Janet Atwood on yet? The passion from test. From the passion test? I have not. No, I haven't had Janet on yet. You have to. <laughs> she I... is fantastic. I'll have to introduce you two because you two would love each other and she's brilliant. And she was actually my first trainer, the first person in my yes to success world that actually I trained to be a trainer. Yeah, I was I was looking and it, it's it is a lot of the names. It was it was almost like a who's who of some of the big household names who like we all like we all know. Um, you talking about that, like being sort of a pioneer of the modern personal development movement, which I think 40, maybe 45 years ago, you, you were, you were, you were starting this. Yeah, I know. I, I, that's why I, I thought, okay, five years ago. <laughs> I was only three years old when I started. Years old. Looking back then to, I guess the nineties, early two thousands to today, what, what, I, this is maybe just, I know putting you on the spot, but like what, would you say has changed and what really stands out for you the most in terms of like how have you seen that sort of progression of like over the last 40 years of that the whole personal development transformational arena I guess well in the early 70s when I first started I was teaching med- I was teacher of transcendental meditation and um, we were pretty much the only show in town and now there are so many Uh, techniques of meditation. I have to say that I still am very committed to the technique of TM. It's also taught through the Art of Living Foundation, because it's the only one with a huge body of scientific research that shows that when you do this meditation, you do contact that deepest part of yourself. And they they have absolutely proven that your brain waves become more more coherent, that your right and left hemisphere uh, become in sync. In that it does increase IQ, it does increase productivity. But what's really beautiful about it is back in the 70s, we were talking about it in terms of getting rid of headaches. Now, <laughs> people are like, it's okay that you kind of tell the truth. 
that it's a deeply spiritual practice, that it's for you to experience the truth of who you are and the truth of what this creation is all about. So that's what has changed from the way we presented the meditation from then until now. But I'll tell you, in Yes Yes to Success, which I founded in the early 1980s, as you pointed out, in the decade of the 80s, when I would teach success, people actually thought that getting a BMW, that having a big house, that going on exotic vacations was going to bring them happiness. And although I did teach techniques as to how to create material abundance, and they definitely worked, now what people find brings them fulfillment. I mean, that didn't. They went for it, and it didn't bring them fulfillment. But now people aren't fooling themselves anymore. Now people have gotten real and people know that the way that you're going to be happy is to serve others. You know, I love the quote that service is the rent that you pay for having a room here on earth. And I, I find that people know that it's about giving. It's about being your authentic, genuine self, not twisting yourself into some pretzel so that you can advance in the world, so that you can have a bigger audience. People know that even if you have a smaller audience, but you are being your authentic self, you are being who you are put on earth to be, ultimately, the true rewards will be much greater. I love that. And one, one, another, just because I want to, I think it's, it's rare to be able to speak to someone who, like I said, has been, been in the game for like so long. Like in, in fitness, for example, there always seems to be, I guess, like a hot new diet or superfood or latest craze. And what, what's, I guess, like good for you one day, you might find out like 12 months later, oh no, that's actually what you're not meant to have. I want to use that example in, in personal development. I'm sure ideas have come and gone, you know, the hot new ideas, whatever. What ideas or principles have really like stood the test of time? Well, there are many. And what's also very interesting is that there are so many people teaching uh, self-improvement techniques and transformational techniques. But if you look at the old masters like Napoleon Hill and Emmett Fox and Wallace Waddles, they said this decades, centuries ago, exactly what people are saying now. So there really is nothing new under the sun. And I think that the time-tested techniques, the ones that withstand the test of time, are the ones who work the best, are the ones that work the best. And sometimes I feel like it seems like platitudes, for example, being grateful. You know, people say, oh, I know that one. Yeah, really? I mean, do you get up in the morning and turn on the water and say, I cannot even believe this. I turn the right hand one and I get cold. I turn the left hand one and I get hot. Thank you. Thank you to the God of your understanding. Thank you to that energy that you want to just absolutely pour your gratitude to, that you could go to the wall and flip a switch and the lights come on. Do you know how absolutely grateful you should be for that? How the huge majority of the people in the world don't have a tenth of what we have, that you're watching this on a computer, like really, <laughs> right? So, and what happens is, is that what we appreciate appreciates. What we give thanks for, it not only grows more in our life because what we put our attention on grows in our life. So when we have gratitude for what we have, more will come. But when you have gratitude, 
an actual energy space opens up for more. I'll tell you a quick story, okay? When I first started teaching Yes to Success in the early 80s, I was broke. I was um, a woman, which made a difference back in the early 80s that I was going to go out and teach people how to be successful. I had no degree except for a bachelor's in the science of creative intelligence from Maharishi International University. I was driving a beat-up 10-year-old Chevy Bel Air, and I was going to go out and teach people how to be successful. Right. But one of the principles that I teach is an idea comes to you because it wants to be manifested through you. And the idea to teach these success principles came to me. So I knew that I was the one that was supposed to go out and do it. What happens is the idea comes to you when the creation needs you to manifest that idea on the planet. So don't wait until you think you're ready because you'll never think you're ready. Number one and number two, the creator is going to have to go get a second stringer because if you aren't going to take that cue, then somebody else is going to. And how many people have had the experience where they had an idea, they didn't act on it. Somebody else did. That was my idea. Well, yeah, you had first dibs, but you didn't act on it. Okay, so where was I going with this? So I had the idea to teach these success principles. And even though I was broke and a woman and I was in my 20s and I had no business experience, the idea came to me. But I also knew this principle of gratitude. And when I got into my 10-year-old beat-up Chevy Bel Air that my aunt had left me when she passed away, I wasn't like, oh, God, look at this crummy old car and I'm teaching success. I got in the car and I said, her name was Shirley, the car's name. Thank you, Shirley, for getting me where I need to be. Thank you for being so reliable. Thank you, Aunt Flo, for leaving me in this car. I also went, and again, these seem platitudinous, but they work. I went and I got a picture of the Mercedes that I wanted. I went to the Mercedes dealership. I got a catalog with the exact Mercedes that I wanted. I cut it out. I put it up on my bulletin board. And three years later, as I sit here, somebody gave me that exact car. Shut up. Really? Swear to God. And I don't think it would have happened if I would have gotten in Shirley and like, oh, what a bummer. I have this beat up thing. No, what we appreciate, appreciates. So I think that's one of the most important principles. It's a tried and true principle. The, that, I, the, I, what you just said there, the, um, the sort of having an image or like some sort of vision board or something, um, I, it, it, it actually still just, it shocks me how, like, how this kind of stuff works. And I don't, you don't even need to understand how, how but just it kind of just does. I, about four years ago, um, I started using... Pinterest and just putting having just a private board and then I'd put on pictures of just you know where I'm living um what my work looks like um like my my whatever relationships this that just all all different facets of my life and the first time I did it I think about four or five years ago and I did it and then I completely I genuinely completely forgot about it like I I don't really use social media or like Facebook or any of those things much but I had this Pinterest board I forgot about it for almost like a year later and I, I discovered it almost 12 months later and I looked on it and it had, um, I think this was before I'd even thought about the idea of going to Berlin. I thought, oh, it'd be cool to live in Berlin. So I put up some random photos of this. I just found them on the internet and then I found other things. And then 12 months later, I then moved to Berlin, lived there. And then actually I then was in living in Sri Lanka and I rediscovered this old board and the pictures I'd randomly picked 
were like my local cafe. It, it was next to my house. It was it was the places I would spend all my time. And these were just random images I'd never even thought about. I just picked them up randomly. I was like, oh, that looks cool. And then 12 months later, I'd been there and I, I'd literally, I'd picked out the places which were like my home, which was, and it was like, so since then, the last three or four years, religiously, at the beginning of every year, I do a vision board for like the year ahead. And I mean, it, I, I would say, I mean, the percentage is, is crazy. Like every year I, I'm astounded just how many things or, you know, I put mentors up there. I put, I put all sorts and I'm like, 60, 70% of the stuff just, just happens. I don't even know how, but it, it, I love it. Well, I'll say two things. One is, by the way, I don't know if you know John Asaroff, but John Asaroff tells the story about, right? It. He made the vision board and then decades later he found it in some attic and he pulled it out. And he had picked out a picture from a magazine of a house. And it was the house he was living in. It's <laughs> Is that crazy? I love but that. But see, here's the thing. We think that we are in charge. We think that we are, as my friend Janet Atwood says, the general of the universe. We're not. There's a higher power at work. And if we think that we're the general managers of the universe, we're not going to be able to orchestrate that house or that cafe or that mentor. But if we just put our order into life and surrender and let the real general manager of the universe, <laughs> all of those forces in nature that want us to be happy, that have our back, and we don't interfere, then, and we just listen to the impulses of our hearts that's when those magical things happen. That's when those miracles happen in our lives, like what happened to you. So put your order into life. I say it's like Santa Claus. You know, when you were little and you put your order into Santa Claus, you didn't know how, you didn't have to to, um, micromanage Santa Claus. You just put down what you wanted. And Christmas morning, how did Santa know? There it was under the tree, right? Yeah. But but what we do is we think that we have to be in charge of every single step. We don't. We just know what we want and then surrender. I heard um, I heard you tell a story, which I found quite moving. It was um, every year at your son Daniel's school, the entire eighth grade class goes on a trip from Chicago to Washington, D.C. What can you maybe describe what happened? Yes. Well, one of the principles that I also teach and I've been teaching for decades, is to treat everybody as the most important person in the world. You know, Gandhi says, if you can't see God in the next person you meet, you need look no further. And one of my favorite stories, and I'll get to Daniel in a second, one of my favorite stories is when Marcy Shymoff, who was your wonderful guest, she said it was your hundredth show. It was indeed. (laughs) Right. So when Marcy was a a student, she was a graduate student and she came to one of my Yes to Success seminars. And afterwards, she came up to me. I want to work for you. I want to work for you. This absolutely adorable 22 year old little precious being comes up to me. And I didn't think, what does she have to offer me? You know, I'm Deborah Poneman. I teach Yes to Success. No, I treated her like she was the most important person in the world. You never know where these people are going to go, first of all. And second of all, every human being deserves to be treated like God because we're all a piece of God. So I didn't look around the room to see if there's somebody more important. Again, if I were the general manager of the universe, I would have to orchestrate talking to a more important person. But no, if you do what's right, if you do you know, what your heart prompts, then that higher power will take care of connecting you with other people. Okay. You don't have to do it. 
So I gave Marcy my full attention, listened to everything she had to say. And I said, but Marcy, you know, you're in, you're in school, you're in college. I'm going to quit. I said, are you sure? <laughs> right. Anyway, she did. She quit graduate school and she came and she was my secretary assistant. And um, years later, you know my story that I uh, taught my Yes to Success seminars for seven years and they were all over the world, as you mentioned, four continents, seven countries. And that was snail mail and phones with curly cords. <laughs> right. And um, and then in 1988, I just gave it all up. I was about to have my own daytime TV talk show. Actually, Janet Atwood, the passion test. She was also my assistant at the time. She took notes during my final meeting with the producers. And um, I gave it all up when my daughter was born because I decided that I wanted to be a mom at home. I decided that that I was put on earth to be a speaker and whatever you were put on earth to do. If you take some time off, maybe a year to be with your mom or your grandma while they're making their transition, hold their hand, they need you, maybe uh, two years to go off to go to Africa and hold AIDS babies, maybe six months to work on a political campaign, your dharma, what you were put on earth to do is not going to go away, right? And in my case, it was 20 years, 21 years, because I gave it all up. I gave up the book, which was in the hands of a New York a, um, New York top publisher, the TV show, my seminars. I just gave it up hook, line, and sinker to be a mom at home. And um, in 21 years went by, because my son was born three years later, like that. It went by in a week of an eye. I don't even remember it. And now I'm back doing what I was put on earth to do, but I had this incredible um, 21 years. People say, oh, you gave up so much. Hey, are you kidding? I spent 21 years like going to Chuck E. Cheese <laughs> and like going to basketball games and throwing Barbie birthday parties. Don't feel sorry for me. I had a great time. <laughs> right. But back to my son. Um, and by the way, my best selling book, which is Chicken Soup for the American Idol Soul, where I got to interview 50 American Idols. Two principles here. One is treat everybody as the most important person in the world because the chicken soup people asked Marcy to write that book, but she was under contract for Happy for No Reason. And they said to her, well, do you know anybody who's a great writer who knows American Idol backwards and forwards? And she said, absolutely. And I was handed a best-selling book to write, but it wouldn't have happened had I not treated Marcy like the most important person in the world. And also had I not followed my heart and taken 21 years out to be a mom at home. And what does a mom of tweens do every Tuesday and Wednesday night? We watch American Idol, <laughs> right? So really follow your heart. But back to this. So my son, um, the story that you were referring to, when he was in eighth grade, uh, they go on the, the eighth grade class trip to the capital of the U.S., which is Washington, D.C. And he was so excited, like all of his friends every day, they were talking about what they were going to do. You know, they're going to pick up chicks on the Washington Mall. I mean, he's 12, right? But <laughs> <laughs> he was advanced for his age, right? 13. And, um, and, you know, just they were so excited every day. That was all they would talk about. So the night before they were leaving, there was the parent meeting, like what time we should be at the airport and this and that. So I'm at this meeting and they're telling us how much money the kids could bring. The, the hotel's going to have a swimming pool, this and that. And then they give out the room assignments. Okay. So first they give out the girls, then they give out the boys and they say, okay, and Asher will be in a room with Max and Taekwon and Teddy. And I'm thinking, 
those are all of Daniel's best friends. And they go, and, and Josh will be in a room with Dewan, Terrence, and Kiwan. And I'm like, those are his other four best friends. So they go through all of the boys' names, no Daniel. So, of course, my thought is, okay, what did he do now? <laughs> but, and then just as I was about to ask, like, what's going on here, the, the teacher says, oh, and Daniel will be in a room with Eric and Eric's personal aide. So Eric is a beautiful, darling, autistic boy. And his personal aide is this 30-something, kind of not too hip, kind of a, you know, <laughs> not too hip guy. So my heart sank because I love Eric and he's been over to the house a lot and Daniel loves him. But I knew that Daniel had other plans for Washington, D.C. So I'm driving home and I'm in mother bear mode. I'm like, OK, what am I going to do if Daniel's heartbroken? So I go into the den and I say, Daniel, there's a swimming pool in your hotel. He says, yeah, mom, I know. <laughs> like, <laughs> Tell me something I don't know. And they said, you can bring as much money as you want. Yeah, mom, I know. And I said, and Daniel, um, I hope that you're not disappointed, but they put you in a room with Eric and Eric's personal aide. And he looks at me like this. He goes, mom. I said, what, sweetie? He said, they didn't put me in a room with Eric. I asked to be with Eric. He said, mom, first of all, if he isn't with me, you know, he's going to get left out. And you know, it's his eighth grade class trip too. And what's so interesting about my son is that, um, and you could Google him and you could see what he's doing now because when he was 15, he started a business. Do you know this? Nah. Do you know? He started a business um, where he recruited high school basketball players for college coaches because he was, um, he made the A team in basketball in his freshman year in high school, but he was the only white kid on the team <laughs> and white boys cannot jump and he never got any playing time, but he had to go to all of the games, the, the freshman JV varsity games. And uh, he noticed that he had an eye for talent. And what he did is he started a website and he became the go-to person at 15 years old for the biggest coaches in college basketball. I mean, we'd be at dinner. He'd say, oh, got to go. Bill Carmody's on the phone. I mean, really? These are really big names. And um, he would uh, and then he started putting on the actually there was a full page article in Sports Illustrated about him when he was 16. Why college hoops coaches seek the advice of a 16 year old scout. But here's the point. He did it for free because he saw these kids in the hood who didn't have anybody advocating for them, not the division A, but the division one, but the division two kids. And he would go in and he started putting on showcases for them so that college hoops coaches could come and see these division two kids. He, and he's been doing it ever since he just had one a couple weeks ago. There were 250 kids and 120 um, uh, college coaches representing 98 schools. And between when he started and now, he's actually um, gotten over $25 million in college scholarships for his kids through his. And he doesn't take a penny because he is all about giving. He is all about serving. And now he's just become an official NBA um, agent. 
And so he'll make a ton of money and everybody wants to help him. Everybody wants to give him context. Everybody wants to connect him because he's getting, you know, payback. He didn't do it for the payback. But when you do that selfless service, when you serve from your heart, when you do what your heart prompts, even though it doesn't seem like it's making any money, he used to say to me, mom, when I would say, Daniel, you're not making any money, he'd say, mom, I'm building relationship capital. And he did. What a cool dude. What a wise, what a wise one you got there. <laughs> yeah. It's much. It's, it, Sorry. No, I was going to say in relationship capital, it's the same thing. Treating everybody as the most important person in the world. You, when you do that, you're building relationship capital. And what goes around always comes around. It's the law of karma. Love that. What, what a wonderful story. You believe it's much easier to be successful than it is to be mediocre. How come? Because it's the natural tendency of life to go towards more and more. I mean, you plant a seed, it becomes a stem, it becomes a flower, right? A baby is born, it becomes a toddler, it becomes a child, it becomes the nature of life is always to go towards more and more. That's the energy that's supporting us. So if we're not becoming happier and more successful every day, it's because we're doing something to stop that natural growth, that natural tendency of the universe. I mean, the creator doesn't say, I want you to be miserable, but yet we have free will. So we can do those things that will bring misery into our lives. And that's why I say it's easier to be successful than mediocre because the nature of life is to go towards more and more. It's to go towards more and more success. Does that, is this, is that like, um, I don't know, is this idea connected or not? Um, whatever you want, first give it. So you want to be loved, then love people. You want more money, then give money. You want respect, then first give respect. Whatever you want, you first got to, you've got to give it. Absolutely. And when I was teaching meditation full time, you, you know, my story is I was teaching meditation full time. And around 1979, I realized that I needed some money. And I was also working for a nonprofit, but I didn't have health insurance. I didn't have car insurance. I didn't have a car to insure. But <laughs> I didn't. So I actually left the meditation community that I was living in. And I moved to LA to um, sell uh, investments. And you, you know, it's like, uh, I wanted to make a lot of money and then go back to this community I was living in, but you know the expression, we make plans and God laughs. Well, God had a big yuck about that one because what actually happened was when I was teaching and when I was selling investments, I was invited to go to the seminar and it was on the law of attraction. And this was in 1980. And it was on the, the concepts that were taught in The Secret. And one of the things that the man said, this guy named Chris Aropoulos, he said that the quickest way to become wealthy and successful is to help other people become wealthy and successful, whether it's through mentoring, whether it's through encouragement, whether it's through contacts, whether it's through supporting their ideas, whatever it is, that is the quickest path to wealth. You know, he, he said another one is to wish people success and prosperity from your heart. And, um, and what I say is that the hardest person for you to wish success and prosperity to, if you could do it, or if you could give them, lend them a hand, that's when you're going to 
break through that barrier to bring yourself the greatest success and prosperity. You know, it's easy to help the down on the luck, their luck person, or it's easier. It's easy to cheer on the person on the reality TV show who's given a house. Yay. But it's harder to wish success and prosperity, or it's harder to wish um, happiness to the woman in your office who's on her third handsome husband and you haven't gotten one yet. But if you can wish that person all the success and happiness and love in the world, that's when you're going to break through that barrier that's keeping you from yours. What does a fulfilled life mean to you? Oh, boy. Okay, a fulfilled life. Okay, a fulfilled life for me is uh, back to this same concept. It's about contribution. I'm fulfilled when I look out in my audience and I see somebody weeping tears of joy because something has hit their heart, weeping tears of recognition. Yes, that's me. And there, and I know that their life is forever changed. Um, fulfillment for me is contributing to a homeless man on the street. And I give them $2 and they look into my eyes and they say, God bless you. Right? You've had one of those moments and you know that they're just an angel, a messenger from God. Fulfillment for me is when my daughter wrote this incredible um, Mother's Day uh, post on Facebook about how uh, I've been such a great example as a powerful and passionate woman and, and the contribution it's made to her life. Or, or when I was out on Mother's Day with my son and um, or whenever I'm out with him and he says, This was such a great day, mom. I love you so much. Or one of my foster, I got a lot of kids. I got foster kids when it's just, you know what it, it, it is, Duncan? It's that moment. It's not that I need appreciation. It's that moment when you have that heart to heart connection where time stands still with the homeless man, with the person in my audience, with my children, when you have that moment of appreciation and love is all there is. What a beautiful answer. Thank you. What is one thing all our listeners can start doing today that will positively affect their lives? Um, wow. Okay. One thing would be, I got it to live with a yes attitude. So what do I mean by living with the yes attitude? It's living from your heart and not your mind. It's, see, the mind separates. The mind sees the difference between you and me. The mind tries to see where you're wrong and I'm right. But the heart connects. The heart wants to see how you and I are the same, how you and I are brother and sister, right? And if we go into any situation in our lives with an open yes attitude and an attitude of this is good. This is all in my favor from the littlest thing to the biggest thing to setting up a big lecture and three people show up. Well, instead of wow, three people know that the creator gave you those three people who are meant to be your students, three lives that you could change, 
to when you're in the grocery store and you're really in a hurry and the person in front of you is taking forever to get their change out of there and they're counting out, you know, the pennies from their piggy bank and you want to just scream. If you just have gratitude at that moment and you know, yes, from the heart that this is perfection because it is perfection, because again, you're not the general manager of the universe. And because she's taking so long, you are going to be in the right place at the right time. You might be late, but you'll miss the person who runs a red light, who you could have been at that intersection at that moment, or you can get to the party late, but you'll be arriving at the door just as somebody else is arriving at the door and they are your soulmate. Everything is orchestrated by a greater intelligence than we have individually. So if we just go, yes, that it's perfect that that woman is counting out her change and send that woman love, then when the perfection um, presents itself, you have gratitude for it. That's going to be a life where you really say yes to success or, as Marcy and I say, live in the miracle zone. Deborah, how can people find out more about you and your work? Where can we send them? Well, yes to success.com and it's Y E S T O, yes to success.com, or the wonderful course that Marcy and I, and by the way, again, what goes around comes around. That little UCLA student that I treated as the most important person in the world, she had the idea to teach this course, Your Year of Miracles, and she thought, who do I want to teach it with? And she called me up, and we're in our fourth year. We have over 2,000 women from 62 countries in our uh, course this year, and it is changing lives and helping women create create miraculous lives. And again, it's just um, a substantiation that these principles work and it's at youryearofmiracles.com Deborah after my first interview maybe two years ago with Marcy we finished the conversation and she was she was speaking so highly of you and it's taken us two years but we finally like we finally made this happen I'm so glad we did it's been I'm I'm, I'm very happy to have met you it's, it's been fascinating and I've, I've 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 loved this chat thank you well, thank you. And it's been fascinating. And, and don't forget, I have this really cute 28 year old daughter. <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> thank you. 